Just a quick note before we get into this week's episode of All Hands. There's some talk of depression and suicide. If you'd like to avoid hearing this part of the episode, please skip ahead 10 minutes. How do we take all these different pieces, these different views from leaders, different views of employees, these changes that we've gone through, the talent practices that we have, and arrive at convergence, meaning we know who we are in our culture. We can not only express that in terms of values or principles or whatever, but we can say how that shows up in our practices. Welcome back to season two of All Hands, brought to you by Lattice. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. If you were with us last season, you know we focused on sitting down with C-level execs to chat about how people strategy is good business strategy. But this season, we're doubling down. We're not only talking to CEOs and founders, but a wide range of people leaders, from heads of people to chief diversity and inclusion officers, to really get into some of their core practices, principles, and beliefs when it comes to putting your people first. Today, we have the privilege to talk with David Hanrahan, CHRO at Eventbrite. With over 20 years of HR experience, David has held senior leadership roles across many industries. His CV highlights include Universal Pictures, Shell Oil Company, Electronic Arts, Twitter, Zendesk, Niantic, and now Eventbrite. He's well-known in the people and culture communities as a mentor and progressive HR policy leader. Whether he's fighting for parental inclusion or battling employee burnout, David has always been a consistent voice of reason and forward thinking in the ecosystem. David, welcome to All Hands. Thank you. Glad to be here. I am so ecstatic that we finally get to catch up and hang out for a little bit. I think it's best we start at the very beginning for everyone out here listening. So I would love for you to please tell us your story. Who are you? How did you decide to get into HR? Where has that taken you? However you want to take us on that journey, we'd love to hear. I guess if I kind of go back to the beginning, like, hey, how did I get into this? Like, what was what was the genesis? You know, I, I grew up with a family member who was mentally handicapped and, um, for whatever reason, when I got to college, the thing that I was most passionate about was psychology. I, I felt like, you know, there was something something inside me that like struggled for a long time to relate to my family member who was mentally handicapped. And like, I felt if I just better understood human psychology, something good would come of that. And as I got deeper into like psychology in, in college, my interests started to kind of twist and turn. I started like abnormal psychology, you know, biopsychology and and eventually I took this class called industrial psychology and it never dawned on me that, you know, like, hey, you don't have to be a teacher or a professor or you know, researcher or a psychologist. You can actually apply this you know, in the workplace. And so industrial psychology was a field of applying psychology in the workplace. And as I talked to a professor, you know, it kind of it dawned on me that there's these kind of graduate programs and sort of advanced learning, you know, in this field. Never even heard of an HR department before this. And like HR department, human resources? What's a human resource? <laughs> right. And so this this led me to pursuing it, you know, an advanced degree in, in, in HR. Um, the first thing that was like my inspiration was labor relations and unions. And so the, the mm. fact that there was this thing called the National Labor Relations Act way back in the day yeah. and the NLRB and that management and, and, you know, and, and employees were kind of battling it out over basic things like wages right. and working conditions. And, and I thought that would be one of the most fascinating places to be at that intersection. And so that was Shell Oil. And literally my first day at work after school was uh, the first day of pattern bargaining. So I showed up to a hotel <laughs> my first day of work, very, very first HR job. First day was at a hotel where the company, the rep, the management were holed up in a conference room 
and and the employees, the union representatives were outside with pickets. That, that was my first day. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, this is going to be amazing. I love this. One day I overheard a company representative and a union representative talking and they said, okay. And the, the management representative said, okay, that was great in there. What you did and what you said, that was great. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in and I'm going to say no to this one thing, but you're going to say, how about this? And you'll say, and then I'll say yes. And it was kind of like, oh my gosh, this is all scripted. What? I was like deflated. I'm like, okay, this this oh. is a lot less interesting than I thought it was going to be. This is, this is kind of a dance. Yeah. There was a show being put on in the room, but the actual negotiations actually happened out in the hallway, basically. Yeah. That lasted a few years. I, I went from the, a manufacturing plant to the corporate headquarters and then back. And eventually I got an itch for more creative like workplaces for, mm-hmm. for like less rules, less like, you know, okay, everything is by a book, you know, a union you know contract. And I was like, where, where is that happening? Cause I, I'm, I'm a creative person. I want to sort of apply new practices, you know, new talent practices and experiment and tinker. Where does that happen? And I had a, a mentor, you know, kind of guide me towards um, technology. So I had a, a sh- short stint at a movie studio, creative. That's great. But they also yeah. have, you know, a lot of rules and it's a hundred year old company. Totally. And so eventually I got to electronic arts. And so that that then was my sort of like the tech HR chapter and kind of went from a 10,000 person electronic arts company to a 600 person pre-IPO Twitter where there was yeah. like chaos and and fun and like creating. And my first week at Twitter, Dick, the CEO, said to a very small HR team, hey, I want to develop our own management course and I've got some ideas on it and I want to get you all together in a room and like, I'm going to lead this course and like, uh-huh. I want your feedback. And so we got in a room and in in the room, there was, there was a woman who I didn't know and Dick was drawing this matrix on the board. And it's like on one on one axis was a smiley face and a, and a sad face. And then the other axis was like clear and unclear. And he's like, I feel like a lot of our problems boil down to optimizing for happy and being unclear. Whereas where we want to be is like actually optimizing for clarity and not worrying about the, the reaction. Like, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. And then the woman got up to the board. It's like, let me let me actually let me twist that a little bit. Let me let me start experimenting with these quadrants. And that was um, Kim Scott from Radical oh, Candor. Yeah. And so like she's, you know, kind of developing that like with Dick and like on the fly and, and Twitter. That experience for me cemented like, OK, wow, if you can work with CEOs who care about this stuff nice. and you have like the room to be experimental and creative and you're going to be pushed. So the board, the CEO, the leadership team, we're going to push to be a really great workplace, to be progressive, to experiment we want to have the best employment brand. We want to have the best employee experience. And and there's going to be resources for that. That that's been what I've strived, you know, like strive for in terms of being in workplaces and with CEOs who care about that stuff. Right. So, you know, Zendesk, Niantic and, and now Eventbrite has kind of been on that pattern. I want to ask you a quick question. So you you shared a little bit more about your your career and your professional journey, but is there anything else you'd like for our audience to know about your whole identity, the whole you? Yeah. There's two things, I think, from an identity that have kind of come to sort of be omnipresent in my life more recently. So maybe not when I was a teenager or like a young adult, but now mm-hmm. two things are um, parenthood. And so I've, I've got a three-year-old and a, and a six-year-old. And, um, y- you know, the, the transition from one to two was yeah. like, you know, it wasn't just 2x harder. It was like many multiples harder. <laughs> and I like myself as like trying to be a good parent, but I know I'm like, I'm like not great. And what I mean by that is, you know, I identify as a parent, like who's who's coping and struggling to trying to manage through a pandemic, you know, give my all to my company and my colleagues 
who yeah. like increasingly I think want and need more. Um, yeah. that, and, but staying present at home so that like, you got to close the laptop. Sometimes you got to put the phone down and like, not let life pass you by. You don't want to be like the older ages and like realize I, I, I gave way too much to work and not enough right. to my family. And those are the things that like, I'll suddenly wake up in the middle of the night and like, have like a crisis of conscious of like, right. am I doing this right? That sort of thing. Yeah. So I identify as a parent and I also identify as someone who struggled with mental health more recently not my current job, but a former job, I think was, um, was like bad for my mental health. And I remember, um, we had someone uh, at the company talking about mental health, like a special guest. And, uh, I kind of like, I helped, I helped another leader get that person in the door. Like, Hey, we're going to have a, a special, um, a town hall on mental health. And the person gave me the mic and said, Hey, do you want to talk a little bit about why this is important for you? And I said, yeah, I mean, I, I struggle with this. And yeah. I, I shared a story about, you know, it wasn't too long ago where I had a, I had, uh, I was waking up at night with um, visions in my head of driving over the Golden Gate Bridge and jumping off. And, and so I shared that story. And then like, I looked into the faces of the audience and it was just like this kind of like, suddenly my relationship with all those employees changed, like immediately yeah. people were coming up to me afterwards saying, I'm so glad you shared that story because I have gone through something similar. Yeah. I try to turn that darkness. I'm, I'm I feel like I'm, I'm better now through therapy and other other means. So I'm kind of yeah. like, I'm getting control of that. But I've tried to turn that into some positive energy around speaking out, you know, like, you know, kind of being vulnerable and doing things in the workplace, I think that try to help guard against that, you know, for, for others who might be experiencing it. So yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. This is why I asked that question. Uh, you gain so much more clarity and context around and, and in these conversations. You know, I, I know that you've long been uh, an advocate for parents in the workplace and parental inclusion. I myself, my, my children are exactly the same age, a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And so oh, wow, yeah. I know firsthand how challenging, fun, but challenging those ages were particularly through the pandemic. And then mental health is absolutely has been something that is has been a taboo uh, to speak about, not just in our organizations, but in our lives. Even friends don't often share the, those conversations. And so the, the beauty of you being vulnerable and giving permission uh, to have that conversation uh, is a really powerful act. And I think that the more we can do that and and breathe that into our cultures really can dynamically change the way we interact and and ultimately create a better workforce and, and workplace cultures across the board. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I, I absolutely want to get further into uh, mental health and, and burnout. I would love to get your take, as we were talking about before, on the evolution of HR as an industry um, over the last few decades. So more specifically, I would love to know how you've watched your own approach to people strategy change over time. Great question. Yeah, it, it was, wasn't too long ago where we called them personnel departments, right? And then, yeah. and then human resources became, you know, the fashion. And then now I think people are experimenting like people functions or employee experience. Um, we, we call it at, at Eventbrite, we call it the Brightling Experience Team. Nice. And so I think the evolution for me was like, when I was in that union workplace, it was like safety and order, right? Yeah. So safety, order, following the rules. I remember um, when I was at Shell, a huge company, I was just drafting a promotion announcement for someone and someone from the Netherlands got wind of me drafting a promotion announcement and said, please apply the promotion announcement to this template that we've created. 
So literally, you just put the person's name, <laughs> and and I'm like, gosh, that 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 for me was like was a moment where I'm like, is this is this really HR? Is is kind of like to right. be um you know the rule, the police, the sort of governors, the sort of the rule makers, and the the rule um uh you know sort of appliers. And I I think you know a lot of companies now that are that are still like are hundred years old that are you know that are Fortune 500 companies. Those companies have great leadership. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to knock on, you know, a GE as an example where I spent some time. Um, a lot of tech companies have tried to learn from GE and right. Jack Welch. And so those companies get they look to some smaller tech companies for what's the next practice? What's what's the next, you know, sort of cultural tenant or, you know, kind of a management mm-hmm. practice or um, how are you recruiting employees? Because, you know, we look to tech companies who are recruiting so fast, you know, and, and scaling and all that sort of stuff. And so I don't think it's an evolution of like, well, what tech is doing is kind of the pinnacle. I think there's a there's a little bit of both. Um, mm-hmm. If you if you get to be a Fortune 500 company, you're doing something right. And you've right. been around for 100 years. You're doing something right. Yeah. Right. And how many startups kind of flame out, you know, pretty quickly. Totally. And so um, I think, though, if I was to think about sort of what's the evolution and, and maybe what do sort of modern HR practitioners like regardless of industry, what do they what do they care about? They definitely care about culture. And so um, I remember you talking about this and, and it kind of lighting um, a spark for me. What is culture? What's what is that? What is that gooey term? I think of this article that I, I read called The Culture Factor, which is really good. Mm-hmm. And I gave a talk one time where it dawned on me that my role as a CHRO is kind of chief convergence officer. Mm. And what I mean yeah. by that is um, as as companies grow, that you become, you know, a hundred year old company and you've gone through multiple stages or you're just gone from series B to series C and now we're going public. As you go through, you go through stages, you go through changes, you bring on new leaders. Suddenly we've restructured. We have a different mm-hmm. business model and the culture can change. And so when when cultures become divergent and they have a lack of coherence, that's the bad place. That's not a good place for being able to actually execute on your strategy when cultures are really coherent and they have convergence. So yeah, you might not like what Tesla, like the Tesla culture, but when they know themselves, this is who we are and we're actually going to tell it. And it's like, might not be for you. It might be tough. Right. And, but but this is who we are. This is who we want to attract. And then this is kind of how we want to have shape all our talent practices. That's good. And so the the HR role and kind of the, the hopefully what I think is like the practitioners, regardless of industry, are thinking about how do we take all these different pieces, these different views from leaders, different views of employees, the, the changes that we've gone through, the talent practices that we have, and arrive at convergence, meaning we know who we are in our culture. We can ex- not only ex- express that in terms of values or principles or whatever, but we can say how that shows up in our practices. Yeah. We, we choose this thing. We choose this mental health program. We choose this leadership development approach because it ties to this thing that we say is important to us. Right. And that's really difficult. You know, like that, that is so difficult because it's easy to apply a formula to, you know, your compensation approach, right. your, your training, your onboarding, et cetera. It's easy to just be like, okay, there's the best practice. I'm just going to take that and do it. Yep. But that's oftentimes the wrong thing to do if you're not shaping your talent practices with like, how is this, how is this making our culture more coherent? So that's, that's the evolution that I kind of, I think about. 
Yeah, I, I think about that a lot too, and I, I love the the use of the word convergence. Uh, I've I've talked about what I've called the convergence of desire uh, as it relates to hiring and and developing talent. Um, and I, I use that when I talk with managers, um, whether they are hiring or they're they're trying to help an employee transition um, mm. either to a new role or to to reach the the expectation that they they have set in front of them, and maybe they aren't meeting it. And that's around um, the convergence of desire that I talk about is the company needs and the employee needs and those how those two things are, are very dynamic. And it's our job as, as leaders and as people managers to help those two things have that point of connection where those two lines intersect. That is the convergence of desire. That's the sweet spot. Mm. And listening to, to the way you talk about it as it relates to culture more broadly, it makes a ton of sense too, because to, to your point, these things are constantly shifting and changing. And if if you don't listen to it, if you don't pay attention, if you aren't intentional about what those different levers and components are, you're going to miss out on that that magic, right? That that mm-hmm. moment where things are jamming. And and just like you said, like it may not be for everyone, and and hopefully, actually, it's not. Have high conviction in who you are as, as a company. Be very clear in your communication with employees and candidates and your partners and your customers. I mean, all of this bleeds in and out of, of our of our company. And as we talk about culture, it's no longer just the employee experience. It's how that, that impacts the whole. I think to do that right, you sometimes have to be courageously annoying. So, yes. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Leadership teams, CEOs, they can hear the word culture and like, oh my gosh, we got to talk about this again. Like, yeah, we got yeah, yeah. to talk about the, we got to talk about the product roadmap. We got to talk about hiring. And I think if you're doing this right, you're going to be annoying. You're just going to yeah. be annoying, you know. Um, and bringing it up when like people don't want to talk about it, and uh, that's that's the rub for like, well, sure, culture, okay, what's what's the trick? And like, oftentimes people just don't want to talk about it because it's it's a soft yeah. thing. It's hard to sort of wrap your heads around. It's absolutely a, a living, breathing thing that needs tending to. It is a omnipresent uh, thing that cannot yeah. be uh, ticked off a list and then put on the shelf. So let's let's get to where you are now. You're at Eventbrite. You made the decision to leave Niantic at the end of 2019. Uh, so this is before we any of us had a pandemic playbook, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, it was not on our radars. But how did that decision-making process go for you? What was it about Eventbrite that made you say, this is the place for me. I'm really excited to make this leap. Yeah, Eventbrite has been a dream company for, for me for years. You know, the work that Julia and Kevin did many years ago around parental leave. You know, they were, you know, they were one of the first companies that took a sort of generous and equal approach to parental leave um, and talked about it. So the, the leaders talking about, you know, building, you know, building a human culture, um, you know, sort of building a culture like where families can thrive, families and parents can thrive. I wanted to join them years ago. And there was like, there was a moment, you know, maybe like five to seven years ago or so, where like I almost joined them and it didn't, it didn't happen. And so then yeah. it, it came back and I got to meet Julia as part of that. Um, Julia used to run the HR department. And yeah. so she's got a lot of passion around um, culture, employee experience, the Brightling experience. And so um, I left Niantic, um, a company that I loved and the, the team, a team I loved, um, you know, CEO and leadership team I really respected. And I joined uh, Eventbrite at a time where they were maybe a year and a half post IPO. And they were, they were in that period, right, where we're kind of like, eh, we haven't quite yet taken off this post-IPO period. We need, we need to continue to invest in people. And, we you know, we need strong HR leadership. And so that thesis was like, this is going to be kind of hard because, like, we want to, we want to, like, level up in many ways. And I'm like, wow, okay, they've already been doing great things. Like, how do I actually build yeah. on that? 
And so they, they hired, you know, uh, Lanny Baker from Yelp and Casey Winters from Pinterest. And they're sort of building yeah. a really good executive team for the, for the next chapter. And so, you know, the first earnings or so after I joined, I'm like, okay, clearly like, yeah, okay, things are improving. Like, you know, we're, we're kind of improving on our revenue. This is cool. Great. And then we see this thing on the horizon. There's uh-huh. like some, some news, you know, coming out of China, you know, <laughs> and I remember a board member, I think it was January or February, I was sitting next to him at dinner and he's like, I'm worried. I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you. And like, I'm not going to say it right now because everyone's on cloud nine, you know, things are going yeah. well, but I'm really worried for you guys. I'm like, huh, that's, that's weird. Um, <laughs> Foreshadow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's, there's been, there's been viruses that come out of certain countries and they're contained, yeah. you know? And so I remember talking to a friend from EA who had spent time in Asia um, during um, SARS and uh, another pandemic and said, I remember talking to him because I'm like, hey, I've, I've got this BX team offsite in Nashville. Yeah. And it's the first week of March and this is like February. Like, should I cancel it? And he's like, I would cancel it. I, and this is February. He's like, I, I'm telling you right now, I would cancel it. Um, like, it's going to be crazy. Um, and I'm like, really? And I talked to the CEO and the CFO. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about canceling this. And at the last second, there was people already on the ground in Nashville. And I was talking to everyone. I'm like, OK, we'll, we'll make it optional. But this yeah. was like my first moment to get the whole team together, my, my new team, right. get, them, get them all together from around the globe. Because we want to, we want to, you know, team build and, and sort of like start to set a new direction on kind of what we're going to build. And um, we all got to Nashville. And the first night I got there, I go to my hotel room, and about midnight, I hear air raid sirens, and the windows start going <laughs> whoosh, 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 whoosh. And I'm like, what the hell? And so I was getting these texts, <laughs> and the texts were like, come down to the basement of the hotel now. And so a, a tornado, a tornado ripped through a mile away from the hotel. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. OK, I, we should not have gone to Nashville, you know, for this offsite. Um, I should have listened to my friend. So we, we woke up the next day and like what was the planned agenda for an offsite suddenly became we just had a tornado. We got to make sure 300 employees are OK. Yeah. And so we, we pivoted and everyone was OK. So all of our employees were safe, but there was devastation. So this moment really brought us all together, brought us all together yeah. to what I described in the offsite was to be the heartbeat of the company, to be a human organization, because human resources oftentimes are the least human function. Right, <laughs> right. And how do we continue to level up the company? So build build stronger performance approach, build, build stronger leaders, rev up the culture um, and, and employees and yet yeah. be human. And that balancing act. And so we said we want to be the heartbeat of the company that kind of brought us all together. And then we came back and then the pandemic is in full swing. And we moved from like, hey, we're like great. Like, this is great vibe. We're building the team. This is great to suddenly we got to restructure. Yeah. And our our whole business model is, is suddenly like wiped out. Like this is all these things were happening so quickly. I could barely like catch my breath and like even understand what was happening in the moment. And so the restructuring was really us completely changing our business approach from moving to a very like services oriented, like, hey, we staff events, like we go to the event with you, like we, you know, like um, we'll help you run the event to like self-serve model. That's that's where our bread and butter is. We're going to move away from services and lean into being a true tech company with a self-serve business model and lean into suddenly online events, you know, for the foreseeable future. And, you know, like that half the company left as part of that. So suddenly, like all my ambitions and dreams, like when I started, like what we're going to do, it's kind of like we got to survive. We have to survive as a company. And so um, I wasn't we weren't the only company, obviously, in that in that in that mode. But um, the restructuring tanked the morale of the company. 
Yeah. It, it tanked it for a couple different reasons. One was because like th- we had to say goodbye to some creators. We had to say like, hey, we're no longer going to we're no longer going to work the way that we used to work. And a lot of our brightlings like were passionate about the music business and, and the types of creators that that we that we supported. But then also, you know, just seeing people leave, it was just kind of like there was a dark period there that summer that then bled into the George Floyd protests and right. um, and all of that. And then seeing the pain on the black brightlings faces and and the, the marginalized communities um, at our company, outside the company, the pain they were going through and the pain all, all employees were going through in the pandemic, caretaking, trying to juggle this. That was like the dark. That was the darkness towards the middle of that darkness in that summer we started to kind of like start to find our footing as to who we are as a company, our business strategy, what do we need to do to support Brightlings through this? And yeah. we got fired up by that. Like we we have half the company are staying, half the company are staying. We got to like invest in them. We got to make sure that they feel supported. We do every, do all the right moves so that they can thrive because we're there's a lot. We're a lot like writing on the employees who are staying in terms of how we're going to like emerge from this stronger. Yeah. And so all the initiatives that we started choosing on the on the employee side, you know, from roughly kind of the summer onwards, we're all about investing and rebuilding this culture. And, and now our engagement. So our, our morale is now back to what it was um, close to what it was right around during the IPO period. So like we go awesome. from like the valley of like morale tanking to then the next six months um, and, and a huge spike in December to now, now we're like, you know, we're, we got a company that's fired up and a lot of new employees who are joining yeah. who are, who are like kind of taking the baton in many ways, the new employees who are joining out. I'm like, I want to join you now, the return yeah. of live events. I want to be part of that because I yeah. miss the human experience. I want to help you build that. That's so awesome. I, I am so glad uh, that you took us on the whole journey and didn't just stop in the the, the summer of darkness because that, that, that's a rough path. That And yeah. I, I think that so many companies uh, experience that and just the layer on layer on layer of where. What are some of the most important areas that you and your teams are focusing on as the world begins to shift into this fresh new start? So what are some of the things that are top of mind for you and or what are maybe the more appropriate first question is, is what are some of those things that you, the dominoes and, and initiatives that you've been setting up the last few months as we are about to emerge? Um, and what are you looking forward to? Obviously, mental health became a really prominent one. It was prominent before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, one of our leaders, Nick, came up with something called a burnout bright camp. And so it was just um, a talk that he led around how to identify burnout. Like, are you burning out? Let's talk about it. Like, let's open up the conversation. And, um, you know, we have a lot of leaders who are suddenly um, kind of carrying carrying the torch around mitigating burnout, which I found really helpful. So I don't have to you know do it myself. But um, we had these bright camps on on mitigating burnout that then inspired more talks about this. We had a, um, a fireside chat um, with someone from Modern Health about yeah. what do we do to identify it? What does it mean to sort of take the time for ourselves? When do you need to sort of raise your hand, you know, and say like, hey, I need I need help. I need to mm-hmm. I need to take some time off. We then uh, started adopting some other experiments. One of them is called um, Bright Breaks. So a pilot that we ran during the pandemic was one Friday. We'll take one Friday per month. The whole company will just um, take it off the first Friday and we'll, we'll see what that does. And so we measured it. We measured how productive people feel. Um, we measured what managers think. Uh, and it was like universally like one of like the most celebrated programs. I asked people like, is this working? And I got like 400 comments, you know, like <laughs> right. saying, please, like, let's 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 extend this indefinitely. Yeah. So we, we just announced that that's now part of our, our experience. So like 12, awesome. 12 new days per year, we'll all just pause. And 
What we learned about that is in the pandemic, not just Eventbrite, but all, all companies, people are, are on obviously on their computers more. They're in more meetings, right? Yeah. So we're, we're in more meetings yeah. and, our, and our digital communication has like skyrocketed. So the amount of IMs and emails and um, calendar invites has definitely skyrocketed since the pandemic. And um, that is wearing on us. Yeah. And so we need to just all pause every once in a while to say, like, everyone pencils down, we're going to go outside. And so we, we tried something called no meeting blocks. And was like, hey, if we all just have a no meeting block, does that help? That actually wasn't helping for time zone for various reasons. Right. But when we all take a day, everyone is going to take this day off. That was doing you know some positive things for mental health. It is synchronous time off. So this isn't like yeah. you get 12 mental health days and you get to take them whenever you want. This is synchronous. Whole company pauses and, and does their own thing. Do you, do you share back what those things are? Do you, yeah. Or is there, did that happen organically? Or is that like a requirement of the program? I'm, I'm so curious to learn how you, you execute this. Yeah, it, it is synchronous. Um, and we didn't realize at the time, but we, we realized it later, that one of the, like, the best parts of this program was that we're all taking the day off. Right. And, and so, and it was kind of like pencils down, don't send emails, right? So don't, don't like wink, wink, like, okay, I'm taking off and I'm actually working. And so yeah. I'd, I'd say the vast majority of the, of the, the company did that. So we would actually ask, like, did you actually, did you wind up working on yeah. your bright break? And so, you know, it was something like 98% or something like that actually didn't work. And awesome. I got, you know, emails from people saying like, I went swimming in the North Sea on my bright break. And like, I, I had uh, an inspiration. Yeah. I had an inspiration for something about my job that I, that I, that I don't think I would have gotten had I not just sort of like gone outside and gone swimming in the North Sea. And it's turned around and actually done wonders for the company in terms of like new innovation, right, new approaches right. to problems. And um, the business is doing really well, you know, despite like now all of us having a lot more time off. Right. And that was the big debate is like, is this going to be like a productivity sink, you know, because we're like just, for, you know, forcing people to put pencils down. And it wasn't. It was like people are actually much better at their jobs and they're tapping into their potential from from this yeah. experiment. And so th th those are some examples of just things that within this mental health space that we're trying to lean more into. Because we think that if we like create a workplace where mental health is prioritized, people will just bring their full selves to the workplace. Right. And there, there's spiritual or spiritual alignment with this around our leadership development stuff that we're doing. We launched a leadership development program in the pandemic. And so we, we tie we tie some of these sensibilities on mental health uh, and knowing your team members and having empathy for your team members into the leadership training, as well as our, our work on DEI. And like, mm -hmm. why do we, why do we actually focus what we built leadership uh, commitments to DEI in the pandemic as well? And so like, why, how do these things overlap? Well, if we have a much more diverse uh, employee base, we ultimately serve our customers better because our customers are incredibly diverse. And, and then if we're, if we actually have an inclusive environment, you know, the employees that we're bringing who come from really diverse backgrounds can actually bring their full selves to the workplace right? and, and give their innovation, their ideas you know, and be, and be safe in doing so. And why? Well, we're a, we're a platform. We're a platform where we actually have um, protests on our platform. Right. So we have, we have our, our platform powers social impact. And so there's, there's this kind of like circadian rhythm here of all these things working well together that the light bulb went off on that, like somewhere in the pandemic that like these things all actually are, are important to, to do in tandem. Ah. Oh. 
I I love this so much. I I know that we're audio only. I wish the the audience could see me just like I'm I'm grinning ear to ear and nodding uh, because I, I I love case studies like this. I love it when you have a leadership team that will trust and and give the space for a program like this to be tested where it, there's no guarantees it's going to work but we we the the people community have theorized about this for so many years and and we're watching it happen across the globe in different ways and watching different cultures and and countries have different approaches to these things and so i love like real life examples of, hey, guess what? If we like can snap ourselves and click ourselves up in, the, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if we can get that, that safety part satisfied, even during and amidst a really challenging moment in, in our history as a society, if we can satisfy that part of, of that hierarchy of needs, guess where we get? The end result is that beautiful innovation and creative space that a company ultimately needs to, to grow and thrive, even in very challenging scenarios. And so I, I love that you're doing that. And I feel like that's something that our, our audience can can pick up and and try and, and you know, do, do the fa- fabulous thing in the open source space of take it and make it better. Yeah. I mean, I, I could ask you a hundred thousand more questions uh, for, for so many reasons. We just don't have the time. Let's get into the quick rapid fire before we, we wrap things up. Are you ready, David? Yes. Okay. Zoom, virtual background or real background? Ooh, virtual background. I, I oftentimes don't want people to see what's going on in the background. <laughs> Spoken like a true parent. Yes. Uh, excellent. Okay. Next question. What item sitting on your desk right now in front of you sparks joy? And why? Ooh, I'm looking right across, and it's an it's an Oculus. So Ooh. going into virtual environments, very fun in a pandemic when you need to shake up the uh, scenery. Nice. <laughs> I haven't actually tried that yet. That's a really good idea in that that context. Okay, next one. What is your favorite productivity hack? My favorite productivity hack. Um, I feel like anytime I get on an airplane suddenly something comes out like just like <laughs> oh my gosh i'm inspired and i start cranking away on my laptop and so can't do it yes. often right now but like if i get on an airplane something productivity wise is, is happening so I, i've got to be honest with you that's not a real uh question in my rapid fire lineup i've added it because i am desperately seeking efficiency in my own life uh, and i just said to to my husband the other day i was like man i miss those like one day trip to new york yeah. uh california to new york i i was so productive and yes creative because you don't have you you aren't connected to anything so yes i agree and miss that too okay that was the warm up uh now let's get into the juicier ones okay so company culture family or sports team ooh um i i got to go sports team I, I think you you can't you can't fire family members, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, but sports team, you're, you're assembling a team and, and specific sports team, probably not a team of golfers, probably <laughs> probably more a team, a team of players who actually have to work together to actually win. <laughs> fair, fair enough. OK, next one tactical thing that leaders or HR teams can do today to reduce burnout in the workplaces. I think talking about it. So actually creating a space that burnout bright camp, like if we can talk about um, if a leader is vulnerable and shares like, hey, I'm I'm I've gone through this and let me just create a space and we're, I'm going to share some ideas. What comes from that is employees then like sharing their ideas. But you got to create the space to actually talk about it and acknowledge it. Otherwise, you know, you don't really move the needle. Awesome. I love that. OK, next one. This one's a little harder. 
When was the last time you were deeply proud of something you have accomplished? Oh gosh. Um, I, I have more moments of like deep fear of, I just right. totally screwed up. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I think probably stoking a conversation with the executive team around what does it mean to be high performing and mm. actually eliciting debate. So like when I, when I can do something that actually elicits a debate, I am like, yes, okay. We just actually had a real conversation. And so those, those moments, moments like that are pride moments. Excellent. I say it's hard because I know people, folk uh, have a tendency to, to be very, very critical and it's important to celebrate our wins um, and also share those moments so that other people can look, look for their own. So thank you. That's really the rapid fire section, but, but I do have one last and final question for you before we wrap it up. This one does not have to be fast. Uh, you can take your time with it. But what advice would you give to founders and people leaders out there trying to make sense of this particular moment in history? How can they use this as an opportunity to build a better organization as we look forward into the future? I think there's this pressure to sort of like have a plan for our hybrid work and like the future of work. I'm like, we got to come up with a plan. And I remember a leader when I was talking to him about like, hey, we need a vision for this team. He's like, I'm not going to give you a vision. And like, we're doing something that's very experimental. We're going to iterate. And so when you when you relieve the pressure of like, we have to have the plan for the next few years, how is this going to work? How is yeah. return to work going to work? And you can actually like be comfortable in the moment of like, just wake up each day and iterate. You know, like what's going to happen if we like don't have the plan tomorrow? Like no one knows. No one knows what's going to happen. We certainly didn't know that at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. Um, all the predictions were wrong. So all the predictions right now of what the future of work is are probably wrong or they're right for a certain company, but they might not be right for your company. So so iterate and just live in the moment of what you know today, as opposed to trying to sort of account for all the things that you don't know. I, I love that advice. And I, I actually will take that into my own thinking and my own day-to-day -day work, uh, because it is so important that this is very novel, very new time and space that we're working through. And by giving yourself permission to try and fail and try and succeed uh, is a really powerful thing. And also because we're exhausted and creating the, the pixel perfect plan that is creative and innovative and effective uh, in, in so much unknown is incredibly challenging and stressful. So Great tip. I love that. Thank you. Well, David, you did it. You made it to the end of all hands with me. I am so very grateful for your insights and, and just for taking the time to share with us and um, really give us some tactical things that we can do and take back to our organization. So thank you so very much, not just for spending the time with us, but for the work that you do out there in this strange world. So please keep living authentically and leading with heart and care. And I very much look forward to see what comes out of the Eventbrite camp soon. Thank you so much, Caitlin. This is great. I really appreciate it. This is so much fun. Thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode of All Hands, brought to you by Lattice. I'm your host, Caitlin Holloway. This episode was produced by Lattice in partnership with Pond People, Rachel King, Madison Lesby, Samantha Gantzik, and Mastering Done by Erica Huang. Learn more about how Lattice can help your business stay people-focused at lattice.com. Or find us on Twitter at LatticeHQ. Don't forget to subscribe to All Hands wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next time. Hi, friends. Occasionally on All Hands, I want to point listeners to other resources that I think will support their learning and growth. 
I strongly believe that one of the most important things we can do for our careers is to invest in ourselves. This is why I was so excited when my friend Lars Schmidt launched his new Redefining HR Accelerator. I had the pleasure of joining him in his most recent cohort program as a guest instructor. And I can honestly tell you, I really wish I had had something like this earlier in my career. The Redefining HR Accelerator is a four-week program designed specifically to build capabilities, connections, and network equity for future chief people officers. It's a mix of asynchronous and synchronous learning designed to fit into the schedule of busy people leaders like you. Lars just opened registration for his new cohort in July, and I highly recommend anyone who's interested in building modern people leadership skills and networks to check it out. You can learn more at redefininghr.com.